Please be seated. Well, good morning. It is a great day. At least in my world, it's celebration day, right? It's party day, it's rejoice day, because Jesus is risen. Amen? Amen. For those of you that came down to the beach, it was a great morning, the sun came up, Connor spoke, did a great job, it was a wonderful morning, it was chilly. (laughs) You know, the pictures never show that, do they? When you take the pictures and you show the pictures to everybody, it was a beautiful morning. They they don't see going on. But it was still great and wonderful. It was really kind of cool. Very, 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 very cool. Well, Easter morning. We kind of have an idea of what Easter morning is, at least from our worldview. But we're also standing here, or should I say sitting here, a couple of thousand years later. But I I want to put my hat on and and put the thought process on to what it was like a little bit more that first Easter morning. Because it wasn't, yes, 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 high fives all around. That wasn't what the morning was like. It even wasn't what most of the day was like. There was still a lot of stuff going on that had them questioning and wondering. So I want to begin with that first part. I would say to you, and this is kind of based on some of the things that we've already read over on Friday and other things, based on 60 years of life, based on 35 years of ministering to people and the things that took place on Friday. But there's a whole hodgepodge of emotions going on. And there's a heaviness in their spirits. Let's touch on a couple of things. I would suggest to you that the disciples... Friday, Saturday, and into Sunday morning have been beating themselves up. Do you ever find yourself in that kind of situation? Something has happened and you kind of replay it in your mind and you do the woulda, coulda, shoulda game. You know, so there they are. And as we talked about this on Friday night, what happened with them all? They fled. Peter said, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. It's not going to happen. Never. I'm going to be there for you. Three times he denies Jesus. As Jesus is arrested, all the disciples flee. They run. They disappear. The woulda, coulda, shoulda game. I got to believe that over the last couple days, they're saying we could have done this. We should have done this. And even as you read the account, they're tracking along with Jesus. John, Peter, maybe some of the others, they're kind of following along behind at a distance. Again, because Peter was in the courtyard where Jesus was being questioned and where Jesus was being pressed. I shouldn't have denied him. I should have stood out there and demanded that they let him go. We should have pushed in. We should have done something. When the crowds started to shout, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We should have done something more. You ever beat yourself up when you look back at things and you know in your head that there's really nothing that you could have done to have altered the course of events? And yet you keep on telling yourself you should have done something different. 
You ever sit down with a couple or a family after the death of somebody? And as you're having a conversation, they're ticked off at the person who's passed away? You ever had those conversations? I have. And they're angry and they're upset. You'd wish they had done things differently. They, you wish things had unfolded differently. And again, the disciples have been following along a little bit behind and, and they've been quiet and they were observing and doggone it. But Jesus didn't fight. He didn't raise his voice. He didn't go, this is wrong, this is unjust, what are you doing? He didn't do any of that. And he's standing in front of Pilate, he's having a conversation with Pilate in front of everybody. And Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus says, you say that I am? Telling him, yeah, yeah I am. And, and he doesn't defend himself, he doesn't say anything. I gotta tell you, there's a part of me that puts myself in the head of the disciples, and there's a part of them that are upset with Jesus because Jesus could have gotten in front of this in some way, I think. He could have he could have said something, he could have pushed, resisted, and he didn't. All these emotions are swirling. Because it's not a year later. It's, it's that first Easter morning. It's not 2,000 years later when we, we go to the beach and we rejoice. We look at that sunrise and we rejoice because we know he has risen. That's really not the culture. It's not the world yet. It's, 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 it's not set in yet at all. Just doubts and questions. Struggling emotionally. And then as you look at John, it talks about they're in that upper room and they're still hiding the doors are locked. There's fear. They're afraid of that sound. Or maybe the crunching sound if it's being kicked in. Because they carted Jesus away. And they crucified him. They killed him. Are they to come hunting and looking for us? John says they were there. Doors were locked because there was fear. It's all a muddled ball of feeling numb, stunned, angry, afraid, and confused. Everything they were expecting, everything they were anticipating, it's all just crashed and burned. That's that first Easter morning. Now, they're resigning themselves to the death of a dream. They're doing that. Because everything they were expecting and everything they were anticipating just crashed and burned around them. The Messiah that was going to come and, and reign and assert himself and, and raise the nation and, and, and do all those things they were expecting the Messiah to do, all of that died on a cross on Friday. It was all done. They're still huddled. They still stayed there for Passover. They, they, they still stayed there for, for Sabbath. and They still stayed in, in the area because they couldn't really go anywhere yet. 
but already they're starting to say, what do we do next? What goes on? You know, do, does Matthew go back to collecting taxes? We know a couple weeks later they're up at the Sea of Galilee and Peter says to guys, I'm going fishing. But what did they do? And in fact, we know that in a defeated way, two have already left. Look at that. We can read that. We read that account in Luke chapter 24. He says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, these are the things that are going on. And then I want you to catch, we're going to read this because then we're going to catch what takes place after this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. These are the women coming to anoint Jesus' body and finish the funeral process and finish the, the anointing process. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And, and while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asks the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now again, Jesus was not just ministering and he was not just traveling with the, 11, with the twelve disciples. There were the disciples and a multitude of other people who would often travel with Jesus' ministry. It says, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things, but, those, but these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Listen, there's so much that's going on, and we understand that dead people don't rise again. We understand, we, we've, we've lived our whole lives and we've lived all of history to understand that once you've been to the graveside, once you've had the funeral, and once all of that takes place, it's done. You're, it's not going to happen again. You're not going to see them again. It, it's, for this lifetime, it's finished. It's done. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb and when he's stooped to look, look in. He saw only the linen cloth, so he went away amazed at what had happened. All these things take place early in the morning. But even in that emotional, defeated place, even in that, ah, it's over, attitude, these next events unfold. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to the village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you are having with each other and as you're walking? What are you guys debating? What are you guys arguing about? And they stopped walking and looked, at, and looked discouraged. The one man, Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened in there these past few days? 
What things? He asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in the action and in action and speech before God, and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that things that reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. They had the information. They heard the news and they left because dead people really don't rise again defeated discouraged I got to go back to life and what was And all those dreams and hopes are dashed and destroyed. And then something started to happen. I would say confusion blended with this surreal hope. Because these guys, as you would read on, Jesus acted like he was going to move, go on. And they said, no, 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 come and have dinner with us. And as he broke the bread, their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus. Now, some of you know the story of our niece Whitney and, and the events that we've shared some of that in the past. But I've got to tell you, it's a surreal event. Our niece is the one who a number of years ago was misidentified, presumed dead. As a family, we had the funeral. We did the whole nine yards. Five weeks later, they discover that the bodies were misidentified. The person that's being cared for is not the other person but our niece. I still remember Joan getting the phone call from her brother. And as Newell is telling Joan, Whitney is alive. It's surreal. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it, you kind of find yourself in this kind of spot where you go like, hmm, Really? Joan, Joan at one point said, she was wondering, what really happened? <laughs> you know, did, did something really happen? Or did, you know, did she just run away and finally come back? Or what really happened, you know? It's surreal. It, it, it just, you're trying to find balance of something because you've started to process through, you've worked through the process that they're dead, that they're gone. You've been to the funeral. You've, you've, they've been laid into the grave. You've stood at the graveside and you've walked away. It's surreal.
the testimony of the women continues, but then something else took place. Two other things really took place that were very interesting. The disciples, when they went back to the tomb, and the women followed behind. And then we read these events in John. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? And she says, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me. This is one of those verses you kind of scratch your head on a little bit. But don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. You then continue as you read, particularly as we look in in Luke, but something else happens in that day before we get to that finishing process in Luke. We read in 1 Corinthians this, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve sometime during the day between when he appeared to Mary and when he was going to about to appear to the group in the upper room or the room they're in, he also appeared to Jesus. Jesus is now starting to show up. He's, he, he's not there at the tomb. The tomb is empty. The two guys, they leave. And Jesus walks with them and has a conversation with them throughout the day. And somewhere in that day, Jesus first appeared to Mary. He appears apparently to these two guys as they're going to town, going leaving town. He appears some point in the day to Peter. And then we come back to Luke and we read these words. It says that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those gathered together who said, the Lord truly has been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking, excuse me, of the bread. And they were saying these things. He himself stood in their midst and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. See, this is that... This is that crazy thing. This is like that surrealness. Like, how can this really be real? How can Jesus really be standing there? We saw him die. We know he's dead. We, he was buried. How, how can this be real? And yet, he's standing right there. Totally surreal. Jesus said, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. 
that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Can I pause for a second? Ghosts aren't real to begin with. But when you're in this kind of situation going on, you don't know what you're going to believe. And all of a sudden, those campfire stories that you used to hear as kids where you were having fun scaring the bejeebers out of one another, they kind of pop back in your head and say, maybe they're real because Jesus is standing there. How can he really be standing there? Jesus says, okay, I know about the ghost stories. Come on. Touch my hands. Feel where the the spear was. Feel where the nails were. Look at me. Touch me. I'm really here. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief, because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Amazed. Amazed. You know what? These these doubts and these fears, these questions and uncertainties have all been flipped. All of it. But it didn't all happen Sunday morning. See, we celebrate and we rejoice in this on Sunday morning. But it really doesn't start to kick in until Sunday night. When Jesus appears again and he has this conversation with the eleven, or excuse me, with ten, because Thomas isn't there right now. So there's ten of them and others. And he's having this conversation, and, and now it's starting to settle in, it's starting to, to, to buy and purchase. Jesus is alive. And all of a sudden now those hopes that they that they were letting go of and that they thought were never going to happen start to pick back up and and burgeon and, and, and come back to life in their hearts and in their minds. There's one more part to this story. This is a week later. We read this account in John. It says, But Thomas called twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples were telling him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. Not going to happen. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them, even though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Connor and I were talking about this a little bit this week, so I thought I should kind of put this in and, and add this. This is one of the things that's amazing to me. It was not a mystery or a secret that Jesus has said he was going to rise again. This was not 
hidden news. Again, look at Matthew chapter 27. This is after the execution of Jesus. The next day which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and and said, Sir, we remember that while the deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. And have a guard of soldiers, you you have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them, go and make it as secure as you know how. And they went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on a stone and placing the guards. It was not a secret, it was not a mystery when Jesus talked. Enough, Enough so that the religious leaders of the day, those who pursued the execution of Jesus, they knew full well. That Jesus said, I'm going to rise again. They knew it. They understood it. But the disciples forgot it. Remember these words as Jesus was being talked, as as the disciples and and the, the women were being talked to? So that when women were terrified, bowed down to the ground. What are you looking for? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise in the third day. And they remembered his words. But prior to that, they had forgotten. It was not a mystery. And yet we have important things that happen in the flow of life and we forget it. Now, what should we take away from the reality of Easter morning? Let me roll out a few things for you to think about. First of all, we should be celebrating and rejoicing. We should have an appropriate party all day long. We should be celebrating rejoicing that Jesus is alive. It's phenomenal. It's an amazing, an amazing thing. Jesus is alive. I would say embrace faith. That's the challenge that Jesus is laying before Thomas. Thomas, you need to believe. It's about faith. It's about trusting me, believing. Can I tell you, faith is a core value of God's. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to believe him. And I would say to you, one of the core and most important things you can take away from the events of Easter morning is to recognize that Jesus is alive and to put your faith and trust in Jesus. The most important stuff is key, it's core. Believe in Jesus. Because Jesus came to die on that cross. I I love the language he says, it's necessary. We talked about this on Friday night. Jesus says, it's necessary that I be betrayed. It's necessary that I go to the cross. Because it's going to the cross that Jesus took our sin upon himself. It's in going to that cross and dying that he conquered sin. And it's in that resurrection that he proved that he had power over sin and death to give us life and forgiveness. And he calls us to put our trust in him and a trust in the finished work that he accomplished on Calvary and on that third day as he rose, proving that he is victory over sin and death and offering that to us as a free gift 
so that we can have a right relationship with God, so our sin issues can be addressed and resolved. We need to take away from Easter sunrise morning that reality that we need to put our faith and our trust in an amazing Savior who didn't run away from that cross but embraced it and conquered sin and death so that we could conquer sin and death through him. It's huge. Huge. And we need to learn to really kind of to trust Jesus. Not just in having him forgive us of our sin, but then trust him in the rest of the journey. This is the pivot point of history. All of history pivots on this point. Over the last number of months, we have been looking at Genesis and the beginning portions of Genesis. And we have been seeing the, the reality of people's flawedness and the reality of mankind's sin. And we have also been looking at the, the pathway through which God was starting to communicate the avenue through which he was going to bring a redeemer. The pathway through which he was going to address the problem of sin. And we see that, we talked about it, but again, we saw that in that garden, as he was talking to Eve and announcing a consequence, but in that whole conversation, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, even as the serpent would bite his heel. There would be death, but there would be death, but there would also be victory. And all of that led up to, and all of the other components of that promise led up to Calvary. Everything beforehand looked toward that event, and everything afterward looks back toward that event. It's that pivot point of history. The disciples are thrilled and, and they're excited, but they don't understand something. Those last three years, their last three years of ministering with Jesus, following Jesus, listening to Jesus, watching how Jesus ministered and watching the things that Jesus did, the following years are not going to be like those previous three. They didn't realize that there was going to be a significant shift and change of what ministry was going to be like and what it was that God was going to expect them and call them to do. Because it all was the pivot point of Calvary. And they didn't understand the preparation process that Jesus was bringing them through. They didn't realize yet that Jesus had a job for them, a world-changing, a world-altering mission to take the message of Jesus to the world. They didn't understand it yet. They were going to start to understand that in a little bit. But this was a world-altering, world-changing moment. And there's also a whole lot more to start to understand and discover about Jesus. There is so much more to understand about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what he continues to do. We sometimes look at things and we live in a little window of time. And we think as we function and live in that little window of time, We've gotten to understand everything. We've kind of figured it all out. Anyone go to a college or a trade school? 
Yeah, you go to college, you go to trade school, and you kind of get done, and you, you, you walk down that graduation day, and you say, okay, I've gotten all the information I need. I know how to do my job. And then you get on your job. And you find out that they have just given you enough information to start your job. But there's actually so much more that you need to learn. You are so wet behind the ears, you think you are something. But you are so wet behind the ears, you have no clue yet what you don't know. And yet we have just taken these three or four years of preparation. We think we're so ready. We've just got the initial basic skills to go. And disciples, they've spent three years with Jesus. And, and, and they think, we have, we've done a master's class on Jesus and we can answer all the questions. And yet there's so much more yet to be discovered. They had no clue of. And the coming years would make that stuff known. Now what's fun is we're going to look at that and Connor's going to particularly weigh into that area next week. But today I want to encourage you in a couple of areas. One, rejoice in Jesus. Celebrate in Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you have not yet come to that point in your life of putting your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. It's the most important thing, I think, in this life journey that you can ever do. Put your trust in Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, then there's one other thing I would encourage you to do. Start to ask, okay, God, what are the next steps you want me to take to walk with you and to know you and to experience you? so that I can walk and live my life with you every day. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you again so very much this morning for the amazingness of Jesus. Father, for the disciples and all of those followers of Jesus who were there that morning and Father, who had their world in a wonderful way turned upside down. Father, to have gone through the devastation and devastation and the, the grief of the previous days and yet now to experience the amazingness of that amazing news that Jesus is alive. Father, thank you that we get to remember, we get to reflect. But Father, also build into us that passion and that hunger that the disciples pursued. Father, it transformed their lives and their lives were dedicated to walking with you, to knowing you and to serving you for the rest of their lives. Father, build those types of things in our lives as well. Lord, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The reality of Jesus risen changes everything especially if you're here and you believe in Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that next week, Lord willing. But I would encourage you this week in preparation, just look at Philippians 2, 5 through 11 and think through what does that mean 
for my day-to-day life now. But as we think about Jesus resurrected, that changes everything, especially my eternal destiny and your eternal destiny. Jesus went on the cross, took on the punishment for sin, so that if you trust in Jesus, you see your need for a Savior and trust in Him as your only hope. And because He took the punishment on the cross, rose again, defeating sin and death, you can be saved with Him forever. And the good news is you can make that decision right now, later, tonight, this week, as you think and ponder these things. But ponder them now before it is too late. Jesus died and rose to save you. If you made that decision today, or if you have questions, maybe want to talk to us about that, on the Connect card, you could just write that in the bottom. We'd love to talk to you, reach out to you. Make sure you do that. Drop it in the plate. Because that's what we're here for, for for people to get connected to Jesus and his church. Now what we're going to do right now is we're going to have the offering. It's going to pass from the back forward. As it passes you, let's stand and let's praise this great God who has provided our only hope, our living hope. So let's, let's pray now. God, I thank you for our living hope. Lord, I thank you that you died on the cross. You rose again to save us, sinful people. I pray for those that don't know you, that you will show them their sinfulness and their need for a Savior, you taking our sin. Bring them to a place, God, where they put their faith in you. And God, I pray for those here that do know you. I pray that our hearts will rejoice. We will trust in you through the twists and turns in life. Be worshiped, God. Bless the offering that people all over the world, all over Ocean County, Tom's River, will hear about you. Pray these things, Jesus, in your good and gracious name. Amen.